Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do you tell a wealthy congregation? By the number of little kittles. And we got at least 11 up here this morning. And there was more like my new granddaughter right there. So you're a very wealthy congregation. I would like to uh, return to the context for our lesson today. Uh, I love it when the gospel reading comes into the middle of the story. So unless you happen to hear the beginning of the story the previous week or read it yourself just to see what in the world was going on, you wouldn't know what this was all about. We come into this where Jesus looks around and says to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. That statement has no context. But the context occurred just moments earlier. And let me read it to you from Mark 10, 17 to 22. You can follow along if you have a Bible. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We hear the respect in his voice and his appreciation for Jesus' knowledge. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's true. Of course, this man didn't know that Jesus is God. But Jesus is preparing him for what comes next. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Wow. What a guy. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? Didn't Jesus just say no one is good except God? So it clearly went right over his head. And I love this part. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Reminds me of that Western with Jack Palance, who said, you just have to have one thing. Remember that? You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now we begin to understand that phrase that Jesus spoke, how difficult it will be for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were amazed at his words. We'll explain that in a minute. You can bet this young man who had great possessions did not go home to a house with electricity, hot and cold running water, air conditioning, or a flushable toilet. I think we can also cross out Wi-Fi, Internet, (laughs) cell phones, computers, radio, television, microwaves, refrigerators, and all the other stuff that most Americans take for granted, but not all. If it's out of commission, we usually know we can get it fixed in short order. Oh, yes, we must not forget our home furnishings, closets full of clothes and shoes, plus all the stuff we have out in the garage, including some very expensive automobiles, which I saw in the parking lot this morning. (laughs) I think we can safely conclude that this young man 
though wealthy in his day by their standards, wasn't wealthy at all by our standards. But Jesus' statement still stands. What if he was speaking not just to this young man, but directly to us? And he said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That's painful, isn't it? Does he really mean that? Ouch! That's a lot. When it comes time for offering, we always guard our pocketbooks, don't we? We're Christians, yes, we believe this message. But do we not give just the acceptable amount? What if we were really crazy and sold our car and gave that to the church to distribute to the poor for us? Wouldn't God like that a little bit better? Of course, we would have to get a taxi to church or an Uber, something like that. (laughs) Does Jesus really mean that? Is the one thing standing in the way of this man's salvation the fact that he has too much stuff? Jesus again said to his disciples, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't get any better. He's not letting his disciples off the hook or anybody else. He's speaking to us. We can be sure. What is he saying? Is it the stuff that we must give up? Is that standing in the way of our relationship to God? Or is it something else? If you take out a bill and I know some of you have some, and you look on it, what does it say? Those three famous words. Four. I can't count. Janice knows that. Four? You're sure? In God we trust. I doubt if too many people look at bills and read that and really take it to heart. I doubt that. The disciple said, then who can be saved? Because surely they're thinking about themselves too. In their day, you see, the wealthy had the greatest advantage with God, or so they thought. The wealthiest people were in the Sanhedrin. They ran the government, the theocracy of Israel. The scribes and Pharisees, who were paid to study the scriptures and to know them front to back. And they knew them very well, but they didn't understand who was at the heart of those scriptures, what the scriptures were really about. And that's the answer to this whole thing. It's about Jesus Christ and not letting anything come between us and him in our faith. In God, we trust. In Christ, we trust. It's a good thing we put it on our money to remind us of that very fact that What we have or don't have in this world has nothing to do with what really counts, and that's our saving faith in Jesus Christ. The disciples were exceedingly astonished, and they said to Jesus, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And that's the real punchline. That's what hit home the most with us. 
It's not impossible with God. It's impossible for us. We spend a lifetime guarding our stuff. Tell me about some of the people in this community, some are here in the congregation, who we would say are homeless. And yet I see four shopping carts and it takes half a day to move them from one block to the next, right? Isn't that true? We used to have a wonderful lady named Mary. I like to talk with her when I lived here in this community. Mary had a minimum of four shopping carts. And if anybody gave her anything, that she would trade it and sell it at a little card table she set up over there a couple blocks. But she had a lot of stuff. Now, I don't know about her personal life or about her faith. I always say good morning, but I didn't know much more about her life. But I submit to you that she might be one of the wealthiest people in the neighborhood. Not because of her stuff or lack of stuff, but because she wasn't relying on that stuff. And yet she still had four baskets full of stuff. When I decided many years ago to become a pastor, I knew that it would involve some sacrifice. I left a a job that I considered to be a pretty nice job as a supervisor in a law enforcement agency in California. I had a corner office looking out on the Pacific Ocean. It was pretty nice. I gave all that up to go to seminary, to go back to school at 35 years old, and start over again so I could become a pastor. And there was a lot of sacrifice, and I lost a lot of things. I lost a lot of self-respect and reputation because of attacks in the church. There was persecution, just as Jesus said there would be. There was a lot of things, and I felt like I had given up an awful lot. Now, Peter goes right to the heart of it as he's listening to all this stuff. He says to Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. In other words, what do we get out of this? There he is, right? The one who's on the inside track with Jesus' teaching. He's watching this whole thing unfold about riches and how hard it is to get in the kingdom of heaven. And then he gets that part about we have left everything and followed you. We, we are giving up our business, their fishing business, which probably was fairly lucrative. Peter lived in a nice home by the standards of that day. They were giving up a lot. Brothers, sisters, family relationships. They were going to move who knows where to follow Christ. What do we get out of it, Peter's asking. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. A hundredfold, a hundred times. Now in this time, that is in this life, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus turns everything upside down. All our way of thinking is reversed when it comes to Jesus Christ. If we trust in God, what does he promise? What do you hear in these words? He will return it to you a hundredfold. Whatever you give up for the sake of following Jesus, no matter what form that takes, whether you are a pastor or a teacher in the church or just a regular Christian who comes to church on Sundays and tries to live a good life, to live an obedient life to Christ, whatever you do in the name of Christ, excuse me, will come back to you 
a hundredfold. So Peter left his family. I think he did travel with his wife. I think that's about the only one he took along. And left everything else behind. And he went wherever Jesus called him to go. And the very last stop was crucifixion outside Rome, where he gave up his life on a X-shaped cross. The disciples to a man, except for one, John, were all killed for their faith. They came into the world with nothing and they left the world with nothing, not even a reputation among the people around them, but as an object of scorn only to be crushed out. That's hard to hear. And yet we know that over the course of their lives, the disciples were treated to congregations of people filled with faith in Jesus thanks to them coming and preaching the gospel. Their mothers and brothers and fathers and sisters were all around them in the groups of Christians that were the result of their preaching and teaching. And I realized it took me a whole career of 30 years to realize in the parish that I had the same thing happen to me. I left a nice job behind in California. I left the sunshine for the most part, especially when I came here. Except in the fall when it's beautiful. I started out in Pittsburgh. I was only there a year and a half. Then I went up to western New York. I was there at the next parish for three years. Then I left there and went to the next parish seven years. Then I moved west and had no parish for a year and lived in the woods in Kingston. The best time of my life. (laughs) In a little cabin. Lloyd Kinner saw it and he goes, it's a shack. It's not a cabin. It's horrible. He came and helped me move out when I finally got a call here, which was at that time our Savior. And then I had to move out of my office because we became Lamb of God, and that's all I did. I moved my office out, I painted the shelving, they put new carpet in, and I moved back in under a different church name. At times I felt like I had lost everything. I lost my wife. But God increased all of it back. Janice is the hundred times. She's wonderful, even with my granddaughter. That's extra points. <laughs> God has returned everything to me. I can look back over five congregations of friends and mothers and brothers and sisters because I left home for the sake of the gospel. It's very personal, it's very hard at times to give everything up, but you'll do it over and over again in your life, and God will actually do it for you. Because as you age, as you walk along the sidewalk, you've got to check stuff's laying there that used to be attached to you. Stuff falls off all the time. And it gets worse. The farther you go, the more stuff falls off. It's not easy to follow Christ sometimes. Sometimes your faith is tested. Sometimes you're persecuted for your faith. I thank God every day that I'm in a relatively easy country to be a Christian. Think about living in the Middle East and try to be a Christian there or in Northern Africa where they're dropping like flies. The highest persecution and death in recent centuries is going on right now in our world. 
more people die for their faith. And when they give up their life, what are they giving up? Nothing. They get it all back. It's totally renewable, just like your points in the timeshare. You get it all back. Every year they renew it. And you use it or lose it. But with Christ, He increases what you have here and now a hundredfold. And in the life to come, you can't even measure it, even with a nice yellow measuring tape. You can't measure it. It's so much. So why are we worried about all the little stuff in this life that we might give up for the cause of Christ when in fact you can't outgive God, neither in this world or the world to come? That's what it's about. Today is not the Sermon from the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Mount. But that's up to you. God loves a hilarious giver. Brad is hoping for something dramatic to happen during the offering. (laughs) But don't count on that. That's not what it's all about. It's about not letting anything come between you and your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in his loving Father who loves us by giving us his Son. In his name, amen.